Jeannie Flavelle's Hot Commodity Podcast Series. Empowering clients with commercial intelligence, supply chain expertise, and risk management solutions. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Mike Coughlin, President and CEO of McKinney Flavelle. And today is July 12th, 2023. And guess what you're hearing? Yes, it is Wake Up and Scarf Donuts Day, WASD Day today. So we're having a podcast in the middle of the week. And, you know, I'm joined by three guests here. Kevin Combs, Vice President of Bikini Flavelle. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Mike. Hello, everybody. Are you surprised I'm eating a donut? No, I'm not because we had donuts <laughs> yesterday and they're still in the, in the office. No, there was one left. Amazing. And I did it for you. Amazing. I had one too, so guilty. I'm also joined by Nicole Thomas, Vice President of Information Sales and Service for McKinney for the Hello, Nicole. How are you? I am great. How are you? I'm wonderful. I'm eating a donut. Last but not least, <laughs> Eric Thornton, Commodity Specialist for McKinney Fildell. Hello, Eric. Hello, Mike. What's going on? Uh, yes. Yes, it's Wednesday and it's WASD Day and it's Donut Day and we have a lot to talk about today. But before we do, I want to mention that on July 19th, we are having a wheat webinar. Our very own Eric is going to be presenting on how to buy at the bottom of the market, right, Eric? For wheat futures, right? Is that what you're talking about? Yes, sir. I thought it was called something a little different than how to buy the bottom, but yeah, uh, okay. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, I, I just made that up. But uh, those interested can uh, register on our website at bikini-flavel.com. And I'm going to mention one other thing to all you IQ subscribers, just to remind you. As you know, we have those monthly presentations that we put together on various commodities. You can download that in a PowerPoint now, and you can take what you want and put it in your own presentation. So I just wanted to mention that again. I just used that feature yesterday uh, for a chart that I needed, and it was great. Okay, enough of the promotion. Let's get right to it. And why don't we mix it up a little bit today and start with uh, a market that didn't go down and our very own Kevin Combs and sugar. What did they do on sugar today? Oh boy, they did a lot. Um, busy day to, to look at all the changes to the supply demand table. And it was, you know, 2022, 23, as well as the new crop 23, 24, that, uh, were very, very busy looking tables when you start uh, doing all the adding and subtracting. So looking at 22, 23, uh, they did massage some of the production numbers, Beet numbers were down a little bit, 24,000 tons, and cane down a little bit more at 32,000 tons. The beet number, I think, was just uh, early harvest uh, adjustments there, nothing big. And then on cane, kind of looking at the final numbers for Florida, uh, where they lowered Florida 32,000 tons. The big changes, though, came across the import categories, which, you know, we kind of knew that was coming about. You know, we did get a... Uh, Increase in the TRQ of 125,000 tons announced last week. So uh, that was uh, metric tons. And so put on a short tons basis, they increased TRQ imports 138,000 tons. A little bit of surprise number here because we haven't seen anything this low in forever that I can remember. But uh, other program imports were lowered 125,000 tons. So cut in half from 250,000 tons. There were years in the past that we'd see this number close to 400,000 tons. So I was a little surprised there and looking through and reading through some of the commentary from the WASD report, it basically just says, hey, we did some reconciliations looking at uh, USDA and then custom border protection data. And 
that's what they came up with. So, yeah, we're going to have to look into that one a little bit closer, see what happened. Continuing on imports, uh, Mexico has raised 26,000 tons. Mexico's importing some sugar, so they see a little bit more sugar available to send to the United States versus what they uh, came up with last month. So small increase there. And then our favorite category, high-tier imports. Last year was 390. This year they'd started out, I don't remember the exact number, Mike, I think it was 50 or 75,000 tons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're at 350,000 tons now. Oh, wow. So they raised it 100,000 tons, seeing some large inflows hit in June, led them to that big increase. So, uh, yeah, so imports up quite a bit uh, for this year as expected. And, you know, we were looking at 13.1% stocks to use ratio last month. New, you know, obviously they're going to be looking at doing something. And uh, with Mexico's drought and lower production and lower imports than what was expected or needed to balance our supply demand. You know, the USDA reacted probably a little bit smaller reaction than I thought was really hoping to see something bigger than 125,000 metric tons. But anyway, um, all things considered when you combine those import increases and a lower delivery figure number, Mike, so only, uh, finally, well, finally, yep. Yeah, down 75,000 tons. You know, we've been hearing, you know, delivery issues and, uh, whatnot over the last couple few months. So they lowered it 75,000 tons, but that's still 1% growth. When you go back to pre COVID numbers, that would, uh, been a strong growth rate. You know, we were looking more like a half percent growth prior to, so, uh, we'll just have to see if that, uh, materializes or not when you look at 23 24 you know usda is not expecting growth they're still uh, forecasting deliveries flat okay so they lowered 23 24 75,000 tons as well leaving it at the same 12.6 million ton deliveries for food use looking at the rest 23 24 numbers obviously we ended up with beginning stocks up 158,000 tons from all the adjustments to 22 23 Production numbers, you know, we've been spouting off uh, our thoughts on the beet crop being larger. USDA did raise beet production 72,000 tons. I think part of that was uh, just on their early forecast shift on why they lowered uh, 22.23, pushed it into 23.24, but also uh, reflecting the higher acreage. They did not uh, make any yield adjustments at this point in time, so I think... uh, Probably, you know, getting closer to harvest. Maybe next month we'll see something on yield adjustment. But, uh, you know, I think September maybe will be the more accurate description when we actually get some good harvest uh, information coming in with early harvest starting. I have to ask Kevin, where where do you, uh, what's your opinion on the 23-24 beet crop now? What numbers do you think we could hit? Or is it a little early to tell? Well, it's, it's obviously a lot can happen, but if you assume somewhat normal weather and development from this point forward, I think the crops are off to a good start in the Red River Valley. They're off to a good start in Idaho, not so good in the Plains, not so good in Michigan. But, uh, you know, based on most of the beets being grown in the Red River Valley and Idaho's no slouch either, that you know, we should see 5.15 million tons okay. uh, conservatively. So that would be my, my, my bet at this point in time. Excellent. Okay. Kind of rounding out the numbers here, just imports again, lots of changes to balance out uh, stocks to use at 13.5% as July is the first month that uh, Mexico's 
granted 50% of their quota. They uh, reset stocks to use there. So we did see uh, import changes. They also announced the specialty refined quotas and, and put in all the base quota levels to get the TRQ imports up. Uh, 231,000 tons versus last month. Then they massaged the other program, leaving it at 125, the same as uh, last year. Mexico, they lowered 45,000 tons, again, face, or 90,000 tons to get it to uh, the 13.5% level. And high tier, being conservative, they put that at 165,000 tons, but that's up 45,000 tons from last month. So that's uh, you know pretty much what they did, all the adjustments. Again, it's a very busy uh, report with lots of changes, but uh, certainly a lot will change here in the coming months when they get some more accurate production numbers on the beat side, et cetera, and we will see. Yeah, anything from a market perspective, uh, obviously Nicole and, and Eric can talk a little bit more about the future's impact, but uh, anything on that side uh, that you wanted to talk about? You know, not really. Again, when you look at 23, 24, most of the sugar has uh, already been marketed. I don't see this having any uh, great impact either way. The quota was small. It's nice. It helps a little bit. But, you know, a a sign of the market is when when you're talking about uh, high-tier imports coming in another 100,000 tons that, uh, you know, the market doesn't want to pay 15 cents or 16 cents per pound import sugar. It's it's a necessity. So I think it speaks to things being still relatively tight and, you know, market kind of holding in at these higher levels. Okay, great. Well, let's uh, shift over to the grain side and boy, a highly anticipated uh, WASD for Eric and Nicole uh, as far as looking at yields and what the expectation and what the USDA normally or does and doesn't do. Hmm. Uh, let's, let's go with Eric. Uh, and uh, Eric, what did they do on wheat? Yeah, well, we had uh, a little bit of surprises today to the bearish side, or at least the positive side in view of our buyers out there. Uh, A rare increase to production, but one that I do think uh, listeners of our podcasts or um, people that have been listening to me talk for a couple months now, I had been hinting that I think there was some upside potential to this crop, not much, but some, um, even with, again, the Southern Plains, hard red winter wheat crops suffering mightily with drought, with those rains that did return in May. And really we've been seeing steady rainfall in that area the last two months that we could expect maybe some yield appreciation modest there. Um, and that's exactly what we got today. So yield was increased 1.2 bushels per acre for total wheat yield now to 46.1 bushels per acre. And we knew coming into the report, we were going to lose 300,000 acres. Not a surprise there to see the adjustment based on the June 30th update. But what was maybe a bit surprising, even to me, this part was uh, a boost to harvested area uh, up 600,000 acres. So definitely uh, well received there that that number, at least so far, is not going lower. Still a pretty high amount of abandonment planted versus harvested at almost 12 million acres. Um, When compared to last year, we were at 10.2 million acres abandoned. So still a hefty amount of acres that uh, are going to go unharvested, but at least we're not, uh, again, as grim as previously forecasted. So all in all, production does see a nice little uptick of 74 million bushels. Um, 
without the, the revision today, we are going to be pretty much three years in a row at 1.65 billion bushels in total production. But uh, at least we can say, yay, now we're going to be uh, seeing a little bit more in the way of wheat production. Again, I did foresee that uh, this was plausible. Uh, but the one area I did factor in uh, of some, some of that increase was some better spring wheat and durum production, which again has been fine for the most part, but a little bit inconsistency on, on dryness at times. And even recently it's starting to dry out again up there. So some stress and, and lower crop ratings, which USDA did highlight in some of their commentary stating that uh, they're expecting at least right now, a slightly below average spring wheat and durum wheat crop. So even with some below average production for those two wheat classes, um, we're seeing that more than offset by a slightly better uh, winter wheat crop in total. And with some of those numbers uh, going higher, at least production, we're also seeing uh, demand go a bit higher as well by 20 million bushels total, namely to, uh, to feed demand going up from 70 to now 90 million bushels. We'll see how that plays out, um, especially as we approach the winter months when uh, wheat feed demand is, is at its peak, but you know if the corn price dynamics are are more favorable, we may see you know ninety million be too optimistic um, for that wheat for feed ration to be that high if corn and corn feed is cheaper, which it certainly could be this winter and into early spring next year. And we knew though uh, on the stock standpoint with the June thirtieth update that we were going to come into. The update today for WASD, 18 million bushels less for beginning stocks for new crop, 23, 24. But with that production increase, a little bit more demand, exports are, are so far staying flat at 725 million bushels. Our ending stocks are now going up 30 million bushels to 592 million bushels. And this was, again, one area I, I did highlight even when we got initial projections for new crop on wheat that uh, we should be closer or we could be closer to that 600 million bushel target uh, or level. And, you know, USDA, I think, is now caught up, uh, rightfully so. So nice to see, um, you know, bearish reaction from the market with prices coming off with some of these numbers today. Um, and we also did see in this month the first, uh, well, kind of a com more complete review um, in the balance sheet for each of these individual classes for new crop 23-24. So helpful to see the changes by class each month as we move along throughout the calendar year. And it's even more helpful to explain the relative tightness between each class, you know, this year versus the prior year. So the only thing I'll note there, and I think, again, I, we've talked about this a lot in the past with you know, the hard red winter wheat crop challenged um, stocks expected to see another slight decline, still historically tight uh, right now, at least looks like the hard red spring wheat balance sheet. Also slight decline, still historically tight. Again, we've heard that story before white wheat and durum wheat a little bit more in the way of um, a modest decline in stocks, but the soft red winter wheat crop this year being uh, very good. Uh, it looks to offer us a stocks increase of about 30%. And, you know, that dynamic really does explain from a pricing standpoint and a future standpoint why Chicago wheat, soft red winter wheat, is uh, trading at such a discount versus KC hard red and, and uh, Minneapolis spring wheat futures. So um, nice to see. 
you know, again, I think this will uh, help to at least alleviate uh, prices moving back up higher versus when we, where we've been accustomed to the last few years. And we kind of probably continue to trade a little sideways in the near term and maybe see some pressure later in the year with uh, better winter wheat crop conditions in the plains and, and see how the corn and soy crops come out. So I'll yeah. just touch quickly globally um, as well. I, I also questioned um, last month in the June WASD why USDA rose EU wheat production when all I've been able to hear and triangulate is, is a little bit more that they were struggling at least the last couple months with dryness and that their crop was tailing off and, and not improving. So USDA reversed that mindset and brought the, their production down two and a half million metric tons. I think we're now at, at least a more reasonable level, maybe still too high at 138.5 millimetric tons. So I think we could still see some revisions lower there as we progress throughout this summer. And rightfully so in Canada, we saw their production lowered by 2 million metric tons. Again, I still think 35, at least the new target now is probably still too lofty. Again, things are fairly dry still in Alberta and parts of the prairies. We may see them, you know, sneak a couple million metric tons lower from weather and dryness. So total production did slip, I think rightfully so. Stocks fell equally at to now 266 million metric tons, which would mark the fourth consecutive year of stocks decline globally. And I do think, again, this, this could be one of the more bullish elements moving forward as, as production and stocks may continue to decline or erode. You know, they didn't touch China's wheat production still at 140 millimetric tons, I think that that could be revised lower. Again, I mentioned EU, Canada, Australia, I think could still be a bit optimistic up there at 29 millimetric tons, probably see them come lower. And again, India, I still think is a bit questionable at 113.5. So all in all, um, a little bit more bullish on the global side. Again, not enough really to maybe shake or uh, cause too much support in the US market. But again, nice to see that we saw a production boost and nice to see we're seeing a little pullback in futures prices. So that's what the report showed today, Mike. Excellent. Great recap. And boy, I can't wait for your webinar next week. You know, certainly wheat's been a challenging commodity. And so you going over the different market drivers and what to expect moving forward will be uh, really important for those who are interested in wheat out yeah, there. Yeah, we'll get all into it. Roll up our sleeves and get further into oh. those those nuggets I just shared. So. Holy flower. Um, <laughs> that was bad. Uh, Nicole. <laughs> I, Great jokes. Yeah, no, they're terrible. I'm an old man now, so I get old man jokes. But um, I get, uh, yeah. Anyway, let's move on to uh, corn and soybean. And I know this was a, a highly uh, anticipated uh, report for you. I know that uh, you were balancing what they were going to do with yields because of all the uh, talk about weather out there. And um, yeah, so what did they do? Yeah, well, you know, I think um, at least from the perspective of corn, we got much of what was anticipated. You know, corn goes into the ground before beans and therefore uh, hits that pollination period uh, earlier than beans, which uh, in the case of an early planted crop, or uh, at least as it was, it was uh, presented to us, uh, that meant that this weather uh, pattern through June could have been uh, a bit more detrimental to 
to corn production and corn yield specifically. And so uh, no surprise here in that uh, USDA did reduce the yield. You know, it's kind of discussing this at the beginning of the year uh, with the, you know, early thoughts on yield. I thought then that anything above 181 bushels per acre might be a little too optimistic, just considering less than ideal weather has become somewhat of the norm of the last few years. But we didn't see too sharp of a decline in yield in this report. 177.5 bushels per acre. You know, uh, that is actually right in line with um, where my projection would be at this stage, somewhere between 177 and 178. And by the way, uh, for our IQ subscribers, uh, here shortly, we're also going to have a little video here of the crop tour, uh, a very short localized crop tour I did. <laughs> it was your uh, crop tour, wasn't it? Was it was my crop tour okay. uh, a couple, couple of weeks ago, or last week, I guess I should say, uh, through portions of Southern Illinois. So definitely check the... Uh, uh, platform to, to learn more about that. But, you know, I think that's a fair number at this stage and hopefully weather's turned around and will be more positive, more beneficial for these crops moving forward. Nonetheless, though, even with that yield reduction uh, and considering last month's increase to acreage of a little over 2 million uh, acres for corn, all in all, we're still maintaining that, that 2 billion plus Ending stocks projection for 23-24 also seems uh, to be very reasonable at this stage. And that stocks to use at 15.6%. Uh, so much improved from, from what we've seen in the last few years. And speaking of, we did get a 50 million bushel reduction to 22-23 ending stocks. That puts that right at about 1.4 billion bushels. And that change um, included an increase to the feed category and uh, somewhat of an offset to both ethanol and export demand. Both of those were lower, but if anything, kind of the, the um, surprise or maybe speaks to a little too low of a projection for feed at the start of this year, that number now sits uh, at 5.425 billion bushels. Wow. That's up 150 million bushels from the last report. Um, and again, you know, considering all the things we've experienced from avian flu to uh, extremely expensive poultry prices, so in the grand scheme of things, a little bit of a drop to ending stocks for, for the current marketing year, uh, but uh, we continue to see a much improved scenario, uh, at least for the domestic balance sheet, looking out into 23-24, which is great. Uh, and then on the global side of things, um, ending stocks for 23-24, minimally higher, um, coming to some, to a great degree, to uh, via changes to the U.S. balance sheet. But Ending stocks for the upcoming marketing year globally now projected at a bit above 314 million metric tons and also anticipated in that number is a 20 million ton improvement to Argentina's production, uh, which will be welcomed considering this year things have been anything uh, <laughs> other than ideal for Argentinian uh, production of, of corn, soy, etc. And speaking of that, 
looking at 2223, you know, we've been waiting uh, for a bit of uh, revision to some of these numbers uh, for Argentina specifically. Uh, but it looks like for 2223, USDA has that at 34 million tons. So, you know, you can make the argument that the market has more or less moved on <laughs> anyway at this stage. Uh, looking forward to next year where we should see uh, pretty good numbers out of out of both countries. Brazil at projected at 129 million tons, Argentina projected at 54 million tons. And we even got a bit of a boost to uh, our expectation for Ukrainian production in 23-24 of two and a half million tons now sitting at 24 and a half. And that also helped to increase their outlook for exports up from 16 and a half to 19 million tons. So overall, pretty, pretty bearish report for corn. Yeah. And I, I think from a market perspective, we saw those futures go down yes. and, and where we go moving forward. I think that, uh, you know, our clients uh, give Nicole a call and she'll kind of give you her outlook of what she sees moving forward. And I think timing wise as well, Nicole, as we enter the next few months and go into corn sweetener negotiations for next year. Uh, yes. It's be really important. Very important. So, I mean, from a corn sweetener negotiation standpoint, from a, from a user uh, perspective, uh, an improvement to the corn crop should certainly help in a lot of regards. And of course, we can uh, definitely discuss that kind of one-on-one for, for yep. uh, individual situations. Uh, but overall, that's good. Now, let's talk a little bit about soy. Because um, <laughs> as, we, as we seek out uh, what that potential bottom is for corn prices, as well as uh, kind of considering what to do from here. Now, in the case of soybeans, a uh, little interesting. I think overall, the market was anticipating a steeper decline to ending stocks for the upcoming marketing year. Uh, but a few a few things worth noting. Number one, uh, USDA did reflect that reduction in acreage, but they did not change the yield, kept that at 52 bushels per acre. Again, as I mentioned earlier, considering that most of the country has not seen uh, kind of the entering of the pollination stage or, or pod setting for, for soybeans just yet, and weather's looking a little better, and beans tend to be a bit more resilient to adverse weather anyway. Uh, they haven't uh, touched that yield. Now, it's not to say that that won't come down a little bit, um, maybe in either the August or the September reports, but at least as it stands now, keeping that yield high helped to minimize the reduction to, to production that was created by that significantly lower acreage. They also uh, made some uh, uh, adjustments to demand uh, on the consumption side. Total consumption reduced by 135 million bushels, which, you know, makes sense. Again, kind of considering if, you know, we're uh, looking at uh, potential for a little stronger prices and some significant increases to production, again, out of South America, uh, then, um, uh, Seeing a little weaker consumption makes sense. 
but all in all, the overall result of these changes was a 50 million bushel decline in the ending stocks projection for 23-24. That's now pegged at 300 million bushels. And as it stands now, anyway, puts stocks to use at 7%, uh, which would be a bit of an improvement from the current marketing year. But speaking of that current marketing year, uh, we did see carry carry in uh, increase the bit to 255 million bushels due to some reduction to the export category now pegged uh, at 1.980 1980 good year I won't say why <laughs> but overall that put ending stocks for 2223 at 255 uh, and again that that plays in the carry in uh, and then from a global standpoint on the beans, uh, the changes directly related to the U.S., everything else more or less kept the same. That caused ending stocks to drop by about 2 million tons to a little under 121 million. And that would still, you know, even if we have some, again, even if we have some issues in the U.S., global ending stocks are still expected to rise by about 18 million tons year over year. And that is uh, highly supported by Brazil and Argentina. Production for Brazil projected at 163 million uh, in the upcoming year, which would be another record-setting crop. And Argentina to recover to 48 million tons. And again, kind of looking at 23, or excuse me, the current marketing year, USD did not make any further adjustment to that Argentinian crop. Uh, they left it at 25 million tons. Um, we've heard a lot of private forecasters put it as low as 21, 22 million. And accordingly, that's something to keep in the back of our minds for future price influence in that, you know, right now things may be appearing a bit rosier than they are in reality. So keep that in the back of your mind. Uh, as far as soybean oil is concerned, the, for the current marketing year, imports raised uh, by 50 million pounds. There's a 50 million pound reduction to exports, uh, something we've anticipated for a while based on the, the sales that are currently on the books. And, and those two were enough to offset a 100 million pound increase to food use of soybean oil uh, and that uh, number continues to grow and has we've seen quite a few adjustments in, in reports thus far this year uh, did not make any changes to biofuel however uh, and we're still kind of holding tight to see what we get there longer term but ultimately all in all the impact was nil for the 22-23 marketing year now for 23-24, that reduction in, in soybean crush uh, for 2023-24 led to uh, more than a 100 million pound reduction in production. Also worth noting that that oil yield is estimated at 11.75 pounds for the upcoming year per bushel. And that compares to about 11.8 pounds per bushel is what we've been doing thus far this year. So I think overall, though, you know, that trend is going to persist with South America becoming more dominant in the global export market, uh, which also led to uh, soybean oil export reduction uh, for for the upcoming marketing year. They took that down by 150 million pounds. But overall, total consumption is expected to rise uh, for the U.S. market as a result of that uh, increase to 
biofuel usage in in 23-24. So that's going to be something to watch closely. And global vegetable oil stocks as a whole came up a bit, about a 1% increase over the current marketing years, what is expected for ending stocks in 23-24. So getting this full circle back to the conversation on price. First of all, for soybean oil users, this hopefully presents some additional opportunity for those futures prices to come back down. Right now, I would say it's still a little too rich for my blood in the 50s, mid to high 50s. It seems very plausible that we can see those values come back down into the low 50s and just still a, a real possibility to see those even sub 50 cents a pound again uh, with a few days of, of selling pressure on the futures market. But tying this back to the corn conversation, again, you know, we may not be seeing the full picture as far as that domestic soy crop is concerned. And we realistically won't know exactly what we have on production for at least another couple of months. So I say all that to say that if we see additional pressure on production for soybeans, that helps to add a little support to not only futures uh, in its case, but also that for corn. And then that will start to establish what that potential soft floor could be. Uh, And if there continues to be some bullishness in the soy, side of things, then we could see uh, it a little tougher for corn futures to get, you know, much below 450 a bushel. So as as we've kind of suggested to folks uh, over the last few months, when you get nice dips, it's worth putting a little, a little uh, coverage on because you just never know. And so much of this is dependent on weather and uh, forecasting that is incredibly challenging good to to at least have yourself protected uh, in case things uh, go awry down the road. So that's the long and short of it for you, Michael. Thank you, Nicole. Great recap as always. And uh, thank you to Kevin and Eric as well. We're going to go ahead and wrap this one up. As I always like to say, live with an attitude of gratitude. Enjoy every minute moment with your friends and family. Don't take it for granted. Enjoy the rest of your week. Do something fun. And we'll talk to you guys on Friday. We'll have another podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody. See ya. That concludes this podcast episode. For expanded commentary and more detailed information, log on to McKinney Favell's IQ Ingredient Intelligence Platform and listen to our Market Insights podcast. If you're not a subscriber, visit McKinney-Favell.com for more information. And as always, follow us on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter.